0: Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the Research Professor of Bible and Theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward.
1: Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for listening. Uh, if you are a new listener, please check out our website, apologetics.org, the hub for apologetics. Uh, you will love it, and if you have any questions or comments, send us an email at information at uh, Dr. Woodward, how are you doing today?
2: Well, I'm feeling fit as a fiddle, as they say up north, and I am uh, glad that my little uh, brush with melanoma has been declared by my surgeon to be nothing. There's no residual cancer, and... I'm pronounced, uh, free and clear. It's a, it's a great moment when you hear your uh, medical doctor or your, uh, in my case, uh, my specialist in melanoma cancer say you're good.
1: Absolutely. And I think that we were all thrilled to hear that it was obviously an answer to prayer, uh, by many people. And so that's exciting news.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I it's funny because you learn more and more about how these, um, uh, conditions crop up and, uh, how modern medical science using techniques of investigation that parallel intelligent design have been able to crack open the code, you know, to get into the switching system and really kind of fool the cancer cells and get one step ahead of them as needed. I mean, it's really an amazing area of study. But uh, thank you for leading this uh, exciting you know, radio podcast ministry uh, with me during these months uh, that we've been able to pilot the ship together. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Yes, I've enjoyed it.
2: So, um, are we okay to go on a bit of an international cruise today? I, I'm going to be talking uh, later in September about the newest research on the bird lung transition. But uh, I decided to put that because I've, I've stumbled onto some great material and it takes a little bit more time to dig it out. And I thought uh, just a quick international cruise might be fun for today if I can do that.
1: Yeah, I was hoping that that's what we would be doing. So uh,
2: just a kind of a <clears throat> quick summary that if anybody wants to jump in on the recording <clears throat> uh, of the week-long uh, study that we've been doing with about 17,000 Latin American students, and some of them are pastors, some of them are university students, uh, listening in by uh, YouTube and Facebook. Those uh, recordings are all available using the the connection on our Facebook page. If you just go to our Facebook page, C.S. Lewis Society Facebook page, and then spot at the very top the logo, the actual graphic for the creation, uh, and then it says uh, Intersection of Science and Theology, that whole series of recordings is available for, uh, listening or downloading from that YouTube uh, and I think it's also their Facebook page of the ministry that has allowed us to record them including Steve Meyer including Jonathan Wells two of the top Einstein figures of intelligent design so um, and what I've been learning alongside my own lectures has been quite amazing and it's been like a shock all good shocks I'm thankful to say but it's one shock after another to see breakthrough upon breakthrough around the world as intelligent design research is spreading into the major countries. So um, tell me whether you'd like to go north, south, east, or west, uh, Nick, and I'll take you there. Ooh.
1: Can <laughs> we go north? Can we go northwest?
2: Northwest. Sounds good to me. Well, northwest for me is in the direction of Seattle. Of course, Seattle is where the Discovery Institute is is commandeering. It's kind of directing the flow of research. But uh, from Seattle, you can actually move across the further stretches of the Northwest into the Korean Peninsula. Of course, North Korea is is its own little conundrum wrapped inside an enigma. I sound a little bit like maybe Winston Churchill describing the old Soviet Union. But um, Mm -hmm. but South Korea is a hotbed of research. and, And even in Japan, We've seen breakthroughs of research on, and in China itself, breakthroughs on studying of uh, the um, earliest stages of vertebrate uh, life on Earth where they appear suddenly in the fossil record. We have timberella, which is one of the most important fossils. It's found in various forms, both in, speaking of the northwest of, the, of our continent, up in the Burgess Shale of Canada, and in China. And this interesting species, Kimberella, with a K, uh, Kimberella is actually under close scrutiny right now by our German scientist, Gunther Beckley. And he's pointing out how weird, how anomalous, and how um, unfit it is to be seen as anything of a transitional form. So the whole series on Kimberella, technically done by a German scientist working with Discovery Institute, but focusing on both the Burgess Shale and other northwest Canada areas, and also the Canadian deposits, this Kimberella species has its own weird, wonderful, odd history that is being unraveled in front of us. So. Each, each chapter is like uh, an additional chapter on a whodunit mystery novel. It's amazing. And so, uh, but the one thing that we're learning is that the Kimberella, whatever it was, and the specimens that we have, of this oval-shaped tiny creature, seem to uh, show it appearing suddenly, out of nowhere, and it doesn't manifest any sense of development from an earlier precursor which is not good news for the Darwinian scenario. So mm-hmm. that's about the northwest uh, plunge. Can I can I make a a hop southward into Latin America?
1: Sounds good. Okay.
2: Well, let's uh, get on our uh, flying shoes, and uh, you know we're going to be skittering across uh, the Central American area, um, the Caribbean, into uh, Sao Paulo, and also. Uh, Rio de Janeiro, these major cities of Brazil have become research centers, one in particular, Mackenzie University, where the celebrated Brazilian scientist Marcos Eberlin. Eberlin is uh, not a newcomer to this area. He's actually written a book, Foresight. And in his book, Foresight, he talks about the apparent um, crafting of the universe for biology, the fine-tuning of physics and chemistry to allow life to be um, here in the first place and for even science to take place. So we, of course, recognize this. Some of us have heard about the fine-tuning argument. Well, Marcos Eberlin has bumped that to an entirely new level. Now, what's really interesting about Marcos Eberlin is that he is one of the leading researchers in studying the living and as well as inorganic substances uh, by, by passing light through them. And so this uh, work that he's done in uh, spectros- spectroscopy, I got the word right there, uh, and his uh, cutting-edge research in that area has garnered him very high praise, recognition not only in Brazil but all over Latin America and all over planet Earth. And with that uh, research experience, he has gathered together uh, you know, researchers. He's done his own and with others uh, working with him, done some very exciting research, which I can't really reveal uh, anything much now. But I think that as we just wait for it to be published in due time, it will have its own earthquake effect in the area of intelligent design. But meanwhile, um, hold on to your hat. Not one, not two, but three Nobel Prize-winning scientists have endorsed and given written praise on the back of Marcos Eberlein's book, Foresight. Wow! That's a, that's a bit of a, of a bombshell in the Latin America area. Um, how about a quick trip over to Copenhagen? Does that sound like fun?
1: Let's go to Copenhagen. And you've been to some of these places to do ministry, right? Copenhagen. South America.
2: Opened, opened, America and- yes, yes, that, Latin America. I've been privileged to uh, speak in about a half, about about the half of the Latin American countries and haven't, oh, quite wow. gotten, haven't gotten to Chile yet, haven't gotten to uh, Paraguay yet, but uh, wonderful times in Colombia, Uruguay and um, in Ecuador and some of these other wonderful countries, Peru. Uh, but let me just go uh, one step over to, across the Atlantic, to the wonderful, beautiful country of Denmark and the capital of Copenhagen. My wife and I were there just three years ago, and we had a blast. We had a complete, total hoot, a joy to be able to speak in about six different locations and in front of both friendly and on a couple occasions. a bit of a hostility came out. Uh, people were not happy that we were presenting a critique of evolution. And so we actually, in the the largest newspaper in all of Denmark, the, the Copenhagen uh, Daily that covered our, our coming, uh, did a feature article and basically treated me as a heretic, uh, somebody who was oh. presenting something uh, that was weird. And, uh, well, what are you talking about? Fortunately, I had my DNA model with me and I was focused on genetics and the, the computer code embedded therein and how. It could not have been formed in any kind of stretch of time by just random accidental, you know, jostlings of molecules, but it has the direct implication, a direct inference to a designing intelligence. Now of course we can't say directly that that designing intelligence is Jesus Christ. We know that by faith in Scripture. We know that by Colossians chapter one, by Hebrews chapter one, by John chapter one, that Jesus is the co is the with the Father and the Spirit. Is the co-author and, the, you might say, the master designer, architect, and builder of creation. So I was emphasizing what we can know from science alone, and then that invites us to take that next step and ask the question, who is the designer? So when I was there in Copenhagen, I had no idea who Bjorn Dyersberg is. And so this wonderful uh, scholar who actually managed to become, quote, a living legend, I mean, that is uh, his actual title given to him by the International uh, Union of Nutritional Scientists. I didn't even know there was an International Union of Nutritional Scientists.
1: Nick, did you know that? (laughs) No, now I do, and and that's not a bad title (laughs) for that guy.
2: A living legend. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll take that anyway. anything. Joran Dyerberg, uh, and this article, by the way, if you just go back uh, a few days to September 8th, uh, just a, just a few days ago, if you will just look that up at evolutionnews.org, you can read the whole summary. It's about three or four paragraphs, and then there is the link to the entire interview. I mean, ID the future. They're on podcast at evolutionnews.org. Did an interview. It's a, it's a marvelous thing, and so you can hear that as our our own friend Brian Miller, the physicist uh, working with uh, intelligent design is interviewing Jordan Dyerberg. Let me just tell you what happened. So he became really, really famous way back in the 70s. He was just out of his university studies there in Copenhagen, and he began to hang out with the Inuit people of Greenland. Now, I've never been to Greenland. And I always thought it would be kind of fun. Have you ever been to Greenland, Nick?
1: No, I would like to, though. Yeah, I
2: mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of a chunk of land that's mostly covered in ice and snow. I guess the edges thaw out a little bit, you know, in the middle of the summer. But he went to the Inuit, you know, the Eskimo kind of um, subgroup of people living in Greenland, and he found out that the key for their healthy heart, for their wonderful low incident of cardiological problems, was related to the omega-3 fatty acids. Now, I I think I've heard of people talk about, you know, omega-3 fatty acids. On many occasions, I think we may have a bottle of those wonderful kind of orangey pills, squishy pills, sitting in our in our closet and in our, in our kind of uh, kitchen cabinet at home. But the omega-3 fatty acids and all the research that brought this to the forefront and made this a major finding was the work of Jordan Dyerberg. He was trained to be a Darwinist. He was taught from Knee high to a grasshopper. Just that's that's the truth. That's the way it is. Until he began to first hear about something called irreducible complexity. Nick, does that ring a bell?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah. So the work of Michael Behe came across his radar screen in the 1990s and thought this is interesting. He had to keep it on the down low because he didn't want to be, you know, thrown out of his uh, trajectory, his his path of development of his own work, you know, scientifically, medically. So, Joan Dyerberg decided that he would go ahead and just do his research uh, publicly on omega-3 fatty acids, and he, he, like I said, he became the living legend of those nutrition scientists. But quietly, he was thinking through his own research, including something called the Krebs Cycle, and reading about this and uh, and inter- interacting with um, the interview with Jordan Dyerberg, I realized that I need to go back and study the Krebs cycle, the Krebs cycle to the K. And so he realized, as he was reviewing the complexity, the like you cannot reduce it further than these essential parts, that kind of complexity, irreducible complexity of the Krebs cycle, he was drawn inexorably, step by tiny step, into full-throated, Skepticism that Darwin's theory could explain what we see in biology. And he has said in the interview that you have to be very careful before you raise your head up and, and make it known that you're in, unfortunately, that you're in favor of intelligent design or even thinking seriously about it as a better theory, a more plausible theory. Because if you do that uh, too early in your career, you can be knocked down, you can be ejected. You can be, you know, blackballed. You can be put in your place and then basically shunted off to a side location where you never do anything much in your professional career after that. So it was both a kind of a reality check. It's kind of that, sadly, that's where we are right now. But now that he has gone public, Jordan Dyerberg has added his voice to the chorus of voices from outside the United States, speaking boldly about the case for design. Now, I mean, I, I, even though he is not technically from uh, outside the U.S., can I bring in Guillermo Gonzalez as a kind of an example of how God has used those who've come to us from Latin America, from Mexico, from the Caribbean? Um, I think you may be familiar with Guillermo Gonzalez and his work with Jay Richards in their privilege to yeah. plan a hypothesis.
1: Um, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the term, but I haven't looked too much into it.
2: Well, let me just go ahead and take us right to the work of Guillermo Gonzalez. Now, I think uh, it was his parents who immigrated. He doesn't have... Uh, I love the beautiful Latino accents of those of the Hispanic background. Many of our students at Trinity College come to us uh, with that background. I was trained in Latin American Studies when I was an undergraduate in College in New Jersey, and I just love Latin America. But Guillermo Gonzalez has now added an entire third layer to his theory or his understanding of intelligent design in the fine-tuning of Earth, because we realize that there's the fine-tuning of Earth that has been done for life, in other words, Earth in its position away from the sun and in its um, constituent gases. You know, the fact that oxygen is roughly 20 percent, and there's a bit of carbon dioxide, but not too much. There's nitrogen. It's a little bit above 75 percent, but not too too much. And we have this other slight, you know, mixture of uh, just trace gases. That mixture of gases, that position away from the sun, 93 million miles, that location of a large satellite that we call the moon, maintaining the tidal action so faithfully and about 25 other major and probably 150 minor factors these fine tunings of the earth are great for maintaining robust life on earth and if any one of those factors was off earth would not have or would not have anywhere near the sustainability of life that it has now so that's an appreciation of the grandeur of God's design I mean as Christians we can say wow You did that, oh oh, creator God You did that Okay, yeah, you did that, oh Christ And so what I was going to say is That there was the second level That he brought out in his shocking book The Privileged Planet Also, I might add In that equally wonderful and shocking film The Privileged Planet And that second level That he and his colleague Jay Richards uh, Were able to see is that the earth is not just ideally suited for life It's ideally suited for scientific research What? You mean that the creator Has fine-tuned the earth And the solar system And our galaxy And even the entire universe Not just for life to exist But for science to be developed For, for science to take place That's absolutely correct The ability to observe to understand, to appreciate, to interpret, to plumb the depths of the universe is enabled only because it's fine-tuned that way by a God who loves us so much, he gives us the gift of scientific understanding that then redounds, it just loops back and brings people if they're seeing it clearly without blinders, without the blinders of this philosophy called naturalism, which tells you do not consider intelligent causation. Well, if, you're not, if you can toss those blinders away and be open to the detection of intelligent causes or intelligent causation, then that, that second level of design is seen so clearly and it interweaves. It's like a fabric interwoven. The threads of design for life are interwoven with the threads of design for, for measurement and for understanding, for scientific research often the same fact that enables life to exist is the same fact that enables science to take place. Are you excited about that, Nick?
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and there's a reason that so many uh, of the great scientists of history were not only theists, but were Christians, like Isaac Newton, for example. Oh, yes. uh, and they gave the glory to God for their discoveries.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Maxwell, You know, in the, in the 1800s, who developed the laws of magnetism, one of the great physicists of all time, And I could go on and name another dozen of of the great scientists of the 1600s, 1700s, and 1800s as well, not to mention our era. So now, just in the recent months, we have a new, a third uh, layer. Now, it's not like it doesn't have a a huge amount of description to it. It's fairly straightforward and simple, which I like simple, straightforward truths when they're communicated. And that is the fine-tuning of the Earth is not just for life, to flourish and to thrive, to do well. It's not just for science to take place. But the Earth is fine-tuned in its exact mass, its weight, so that and the gravitational uh, powers uh, that are at work from that mass. The Earth is fine-tuned for space exploration to take off. And I even use the word take off to kind of like symbolize the, the jets uh, the rather the rocket blast of a Saturn V um, propelling the human astronauts to the moon back in July in July of uh, 1969 when I was uh, my, going into my sophomore year of college. I'll never forget seeing that Saturn V rocket and I think it was on July 19th they landed on the moon so it would have been like maybe five days earlier when they took off but I remember watching the takeoff from uh, Kate Kennedy. And so the excitement of seeing that wow. take off, the excitement of seeing that take off, uh, never did I in a million years at that point, because I was a brand new Christian. I had just received Christ at the end of my freshman year there on the Princeton campus. And I was working that summer at the Art Museum as a guide and a kind of a tabulator of records. And so it was a great joy and privilege for me right there in the um, location where we were working on art exhibits at the Princeton Art Art Museum to see that takeoff. And then, of course, the landing just five days later. As Neil Armstrong said, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. And the rest is history. But what's amazing is that this um, amazing uh, fact of the ability of mankind to develop that rocket blast, was only permitted because the Earth's structure, its exact weight, is set so that it's not too small and not too large. It's just right for a rocket to be able to even take us into orbit, let alone into space. So I think that's pretty spectacular. God is spreading his stuff, and design is exploding across planet Earth. Back to you, Nick Schauner.
1: Thank you all for listening. We hope you had a good time. And again, if you have any questions or comments, send us an email at information at apologetics.org. That's information at apologetics.org. And we'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door.